This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Brian Compton, my friend, who are your all-time three favorite figures in the history of the New York Islanders? I gotta go Mike Bossy one, just because to me he's the greatest goal scorer who ever played this game and ever lived. Um, I think Arbor and Torrey are too easy, Chris, so I'm gonna go off the off the chart here. I'm gonna say Jimmy Devolano too. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did for that organization for many, many years. Uh, and then currently... Uh, I think Andrews Lee deserves to be the next Islander captain to hoist the Stanley Cup. I think he's just a great guy on and off. Uh, I like it. I know you could probably name twenty, and you'd want to get into sure. you'd want to get into the nineties and, and all the others too. Our guest is Brian Compton, who for many years has been a managing editor at NHL.com and a commentator on countless programs and podcasts. And in what seems like a lifetime ago, was a regular with me on Islanders Point Blank segments at SNY. So. So let's get right to it. It is UBS Arena in Elmont, Long Island. Like, like I still can't believe it. I drove by the other day early in the morning, and I can't believe it. As somebody who's lived and died and lived with this team and covered it and been a fan, like, like what's your thoughts now that this thing's opening? Chris, I think not until the anthem I'm going to believe that this is really, really happening. I mean, how, I mean, how can you after everything that this franchise has been through? You know better than I do, but you and I, you brought up the show that we used to do many moons ago. We were talking about that referendum. Like, what was that, 2011? Like, it, it's crazy how much the Islanders have been through to get to this point. Um, but I'm just so happy for the fans more than anything else because they've been dragged through the mud for decades, as you know. And it's going to be a really, really special night in the building. I mean, I haven't been there in about a month, but and I'm sure they've done a lot since then. Uh, but it's going to be absolutely spectacular. What stands out for you now? You know, I've heard about the low ceilings and how they've tried to do their best to, you know, make it so that the fans could be loud and to keep some of that home ice uh, advantage that they had at the Nassau Coliseum. But are, are there other aspects of it or something about it that also stands out for you? I think it's probably going to be that bar in the upper bowl. It's going to almost feel like... I didn't say where are you going to be frequenting, Brian. I said what... (laughs) Maybe after the game, if it's still open. I think it's probably that 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 atmosphere they're going to have up top, Chris, because it's going to be different than anything we've seen before in the National Hockey League. So, um, you know, the fact that you can walk around... Get this, you could walk around and still watch the game. You didn't really get that in though, right? So That was uh, absolutely impossible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think that's going to be a really, really cool aspect of UBS. Do... So I don't mean this like, isn't it just, this is a special place and it's going to be loud and I suspect that the Islander fans are going to take it personally that the hockey world will be watching them to see if they can keep up that energy or what they got famous for, especially again in the last few years. But a new building, you know, has layers of suites that the Coliseum didn't. Like, is it possible that they're, um, that, 
that no matter how much we try, and I can say we, because I'll be there at some point, that that it can only be so loud? Or do you think that this they've learned maybe from some of these other arenas where the acoustics aren't so great and that this place really could rock like an old place? I don't think we'll know until playoff time, for sure. And that's not a knock on regular season games or anything like that, but with all the distractions that you're going to have now with, with the clubs that, that you mentioned and the bar that I mentioned, um, you want to be enter- you want the fans to be entertained at the same time as they're watching the game. That's just the way the buildings are now, Chris. But um, I think once the games really, really matter um, and fans are going to want to pay attention to what's going on, they're going to stay in the seats for, for a longer period of time. I think that's when we're going to know how close can it be to the Nassau Coliseum. I think that's a great point, Brian. Thank you for that. Um, does it feel like, and, and I know you won't know till you go there for the first game, but but you know, I will say, you know, and it's connected to Lou Lamorello. When I first walk, walked into the New Jersey Devils new arena, it felt like, to their credit, it had a New Jersey feel. It had the, the high school banners and local hockey clubs and, and tributes to former Devils in there. Does it feel like an Islanders arena? I think it will. Um, I, I would hope. I don't think it's going to be this year, Chris, but there's got to be an Al Arbor statue or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like at City Field, when you walk through the rotunda, there's the Mets Hall of Fame right there. I think you've got to pay homage to how we how they got there in the first place right and i think i think you're gonna know that you're in the islanders home and i think there's gonna be that november 20th i think every islander fan is gonna go in there and go holy crap this is gonna be our <laughs> new home for 25 30 years whatever it's gonna be um just because of everything that they've been through like we were talking about earlier chris but um it's their home and it's gonna be unbelievable and like I said, it's it's a long time coming, and, and this fan base deserves it for sure. It would be smart of the Islanders, and I think this is what's probably going on here. Like there's there's absolutely no reason to announce everything so early. I mentioned on a show that I do with Pat Boyle on, on Islanders forecheck version of this podcast that that I believe that the Islanders Hall of Fame, which was started a long time ago, then went dormant in terms of the inductions, but then they brought it back uh, the last couple of years, uh, that there will be a spot in the arena or somewhere. Is that is that something that you would expect or at least hope? Uh, the latter, for sure. Um I think you gotta you, you gotta do better than a banner for me, Chris. You, you gotta and, and plaques, which are at um, at Northwell and East Meadow, which is great. But you want the fans to, especially the older fans who were there for the dynasty, to reflect and and tell their kids and grandkids, etc., about what it was like and how this franchise won 19 playoff series in a row, which will never ever ever be duplicated. Um, I think that there a better job can be done for sure in that regard, whether it's a Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, a separate room with memorabilia, etc. Um, I think there's more that, that, that can be done there. When was the time or times that come to mind that were darkest where you thought it was possible that the idea of a, it just wasn't meant to be that the Islanders would get an arena of their own, especially in New York? Probably the referendum. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really thought that that was it. Like, True. where are they going to end up? Because you knew that they weren't going to stay at the Coliseum past 2015. And um, I remember going on Andrew Gross's podcast, uh, I think it was last year, and, uh, after they lost to Washington, uh, watching the crew, like, taking the banners down 
And then I, I walked around the concourse aimlessly for a half an hour after I finished work. And I sat in the 300s by myself for a good 20 minutes because I grew up in that building. I'm like, I can't believe that this is really happening. Um, and that's not a knock on Barclays. You know, they did what they could. It, it wasn't built for hockey. Um, and the Islanders played well there. I mean, they won there more than they lost, to be fair to Brooklyn. Um, but, you know, to, to, to think that they're actually going to be in this spot now for a long time, it, it's, it's like I said a million times already, it's a long time coming, and nobody deserves it more than this fan base because they've just been through so much, Chris, as you know. You bring up a great point about Barclays. Uh, as time goes on, can, um, is there will – we re, will we revisit history and say – Barclays served the role, right? Like, I, I get it. You could say, well, those games we wound up playing back at the Coliseum. But, you know, Barclays filled the need and kept the conversation going for a while, even if it wasn't, even if it was often, you know, very negative. Like you said, the team kept on winning. So how do we look back on the Barclays there? Well, I think the fans are going to shake their head and say it was terrible just because that's been the narrative, Chris. But for me, I, I always go back to Tavares' overtime goal in Florida. Nobody gave a crap where the scoreboard was like nobody cared that it was off center that place rocked to its core it really really did it was a special night um you know breaking that that 23 year that 23 year jinx so um look like i said it's a phenomenal building it's not built for hockey um but the fans did not care where the scoreboard was uh anything along those lines you know, obstructed seats etc that place really really rocked when jt scored that goal I'm going to come back to the uh, the current Islanders and, and some other thoughts and, and, and revisit a time when we talked about this team a little bit. But I really, it's part of the, it's a big part of this podcast is to talk about the careers of, of the people on it. Um, how did you, so if you could, I know a little bit of the backstory, of course, your dad, but was it, so your dad's Eric Compton, who was a long time, or mostly a sports editor, sometimes writer uh, in this town in New York. Uh, was that really the inspiration for you to embark on this career? Yeah, I mean, he, he covered the third and fourth cup teams for the Daily News and took me to Kaniok Park for practices when I was geez, five or six years old, I guess, at the time. And I even knew then, Chris, that I was not going to be a pro athlete. So I thought that would be the next best thing to do to follow in his footsteps. I just thought, you know, this, and to this day, Chris, it just, it doesn't feel like a job. It, it really doesn't. It's just, it's so much fun to do something that you love. And, um, you know, it's, it's different now after COVID, just not being in the room every day. But, you know, having that opportunity to get to know guys on a personal level, I think that's the best part and treating them like human beings. Because if you do that, um, they're going to treat you with, with the same respect, and it's been a it's been a great run for sure. Before you did it professionally, what was your apprenticeship like? Whether it be college newspapers, early days, please tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was um, sports editor at the Soaring Eagle, which was the Hop Hog High School newspaper for a couple of years, and then I was co editor in chief senior year, um, and then same thing in college. I was a sports editor for the paper there for two years and co-editor-in-chief uh, my senior year as well. So that's that's the way you got to do it. I worked for the local paper in Wilkes-Barre where I went to school uh, my senior year, and that, that that's the that's how you get here, Chris. You got you to gotta work through it, and you got to build your clips, and you, you got to build a resume. And how did you end up at NHL.com? Uh, I covered the Trenton Titans in the ECHL right. for five years, and that fifth year i started freelancing for nhl.com i did like a weekly echl column um and it just built from there uh, i think i did it for about a year 
Um, and then I left Trenton in April, and I was here in September of 07. Been here ever since. Was the minor league experience key? Because you know, I know it is for play-by-play announcers, for example. Did you? To me, I would think the access would be what you wanted to make of it, right? There's some downtime, a lot of games on weekends and, and normal seasons. Uh, was that a great training ground for you? And and who were some of the who were some of the people back then, either with the team or around those paper around the, the newspaper, who were helpful to you? Yeah, but my first full season there was o two o three, and the head coach was Bill Armstrong, who is now the general manager of the Coyotes. Uh, it's just I I called him as soon as he got the job. I said, "Can you believe this? Like this is unbelievable." Um, good for him. He helped build the Blues into into winning that cup in twenty nineteen. So uh, Mike Havlin, when they won the Kelly Cup in 05, he was their head coach, and then he went on to win the cup with Chicago. Um, trying to think who else Rusan Fedotenko played for Trent mm-hmm. Todd Fedorik um, guys that you know uh, yeah. it's just, and that that was the best part of the B Chris because you knew that um, that a lot of those players were never ever going to see the light of day in the NHL and it was just a passion to keep playing um, and in 05 when they won the cup I think Trenton played 85 games or 95 games something like that and I was the only traveling beat writer in the league I covered like 90 of them I went to Alaska I went to Fort Lauderdale it was it was insane but it, it was a lot of fun for sure and how was the access like were they pretty much open Whatever to you? yeah right Whatever almost a little bit of a slap shot feel like where you're, you're just yeah, with no, them no. all along yeah I rode the bus with them from Trenton to Peoria Illinois and I was I was that was like a two-day ride it was so much fun and I learned so much and um, I, I still have relationships with a lot of those people. It's great. When you're at NHL.com or writing, editing, what is what is the work that makes you happiest? That's a great question. Um, you know what, Chris? I think I'm just grateful to, to be here in an industry that's not the greatest. I mean, the newspaper industry is in shambles, so let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of good people who either aren't doing what they should be doing or aren't working at all, and it's, it's just it's not fair. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm complacent. I, I work hard every day and um, I'm supporting my family as best as I can, but um, I'm just, I just feel grateful to, to do what I love and be in this position. What are your, how many, about how many hours a week do you put in? And, and I would say include not just when you're in the office, but everything else that you might work on or to prepare to be at your best. Not probably too many. <laughs> well, well <laughs> I knew that. I yeah, I spend a, you know I spend more time away from my family than I should, but um, you know this is you know how it goes. This can be a twenty four hour job if you let it. Uh, news can break at any moment. That's just the way that this world works. Um, you know, there's I remember it was like a seventy five or eighty degree day, one of the first warm days when when Bill Tory passed away, and I was at Jones Beach, and my my boss called and. You know, I wasn't supposed to work until 6 o'clock. He's like, Bill Torrey just died. I'm like, all right, I'm leaving. And I went home and I called Eddie Poppin right away. Like, that's just the job. Things can happen at the drop. Things can happen at the drop of a dime and you just got to roll with the punches. And that's the kind of story you would want to write. Right, you'd Absolutely. want you'd want to Absolutely. be there, right? Um, let's let's. Well, before we talk about the current team, as I was preparing for this, and it's so obvious that I prepared that, um, like, it's just hard. Another thing that's just hard to believe is like when we uh, had our time at SNY for a little bit and went in front of those cameras and pretended to be, you know, studio people and all that. Smart. Put on makeup, <laughs> pretend to be smart, all that stuff. Um, you know, 
at most, you know, besides all the other craziness that we covered and talked about, but at most the, the, the theme when we tried our best to skew positive was could this team, meaning the New York Islanders, make the playoffs? Like that literally was the bar, and that, and that actually was the high bar most of the time. So, again, I guess this is a can you believe, but, you know, this is not where they are right now. And, and, and I've been away from it. What's it been like to, because you've never really broken from it. You've been with NHL.com the whole time. You've covered them regularly. So, you know, how is that experience to see this turnaround in a fairly miraculous one uh, since Lamorello and Trotz? And considering they lost Johnny, right, right? Before yeah. Those guys even worked for a day, really, right? It, it's crazy. Um, you know, I remember the first day of camp that first season under Barry. I was talking to Anders in the room off the record, basically. But I'm like, how are things going? And he said, different. And I'm like, good, different? He goes, oh, yeah, this is going to be special. He, he just knew. Um, a lot of the guys knew. And, you know, it's not it's nothing against previous guys, Chris, but um, you have to have a good infrastructure and you have to have guys who have established themselves in this league. And they, they didn't have that for so long, as you know. Um, you know, it's nothing against a guy like Dougie Wade, who tried his best, or Jack Capuano, who had won a lot of games here. Let's be honest. Um, it's just you have to take it to that next level, and they never did that under guard. So to be in this position now where they are, let's face it, they're now the model franchise in New York. It, it, it may be anywhere, too, but especially in New York where they were nowhere close to that for a, a long, long time. Um, it's crazy how quickly things have changed for the better. Really. It's, it's a great point. I mean, everything that the Giants, New York football Giants, are trying to find, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know much about it, but it just was gone from one coach to another coach to another coach who, again, they, they are like some of the players, the people you mentioned, like Doug and Jack. You know, I, I, they know the sport, but we just can the Giants just cannot pull it together. Yet the Islanders, and ultimately the goal has to be to win the Stanley Cup. The, like the Islanders have it together. Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned this probably a lot in, just in the couple months we've done this show. And I probably back in the day used to say, like, don't judge coaches or different people on how they answer questions in press conference. But Barry Trotz seems to break that rule for me because when I, when, when, when I see him give thoughtful, I, I assume he maybe has some moments and I don't see it where maybe he could be a little uh, abrupt or not really into answering a question. But this, the same questions that I've seen others famously, like John Tortorella, be very quick to uh, shuffle off and say, "I'm, I'm not going to tell you my PK strategy, or I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a deep dive on my team." You know, when the Islanders lost those first two games this season, Trotz took the time to explain why they weren't good. He even, without being disrespectful. Uh, looked a little bit irritated at times, not with the reporters, but with or disappointed, which maybe is worse to have him disappointed in you. Is that person that I see now, just watching the clips on Twitter or on the post game show, is is that the person that has been so successful since taking over the team as coach? Since you're closer to it, as long as you don't ask him who's starting in goal, he will talk to you about anything for as long as you want to talk. He's not telling you starting in goal, but anything else, how, you know, anything about, you know, tell, tell me about Scott Mayfield. He'll go on 
you yes one question, Chris, and he will talk for fifteen minutes, like, yes, and he'll answer the next three questions that you were going to ask him in that one response. He's a he's a he's a gentleman. Uh, he's a really really good human being, and I think that goes a long way in why he's been. So I mean, to have the longevity that he's had in this league, Chris, as a head coach, it, it speaks volumes. I think not just how good of a coach he is, but how good of a person he is. I think you have to be a good person to coach in this league for as long as he has. Yeah, uh, Craig Button on this show uh, sh- uh, shed a little insight into Lamarello. Uh, to sum it up, he said it's not that he has rules, but that he will take the time to explain why certain things he feels are important. Uh, you you didn't get to spend much time around him, and may, may, yeah, obviously it's a different time now. You're not uh, you're not able to see the GM all the time now. But I was just wondering if you had a take also on Lamorello's impact uh, based on what you've been able to see and hear. Just what he's done from day one, Chris. It's it's really remarkable. Um, you know, his resume speaks for itself, as we know. But to do what he's done as quickly as he has. Um, you know, who would have thought that, all oh, right, Lamorello is going to be the, the, is the new GM. That's great. You know, it's going to take some time to get where they want to go. But to think that a guy like Barry Trotz was coming in to coach the team mm-hmm. 10 days later, I don't think that's happening without Lou. I just don't. Um, and, and Barry had brought that up numerous times, you know, to go from winning the Stanley Cup to the Islanders, who were coming off a rotten season, had given up 300 goals. Um, he was eager to work with Lou. Um, and I think that, you know, the relationship that they've built together uh, speaks volumes. But Lou is, is as pro as they come. You know that. And, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that speaks to the – he's as far from the guys that I've spoken to about him too, Chris, he's a, he's a tremendous person. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that I will give credit uh, to Garth to. I'm going off the rails here a little bit. The Outers didn't win a whole lot on the guards, no, but Garth – was really good at bringing in quality people into that room. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just continued to go on here with, with Lou and Barry. More with Brian Compton on Ilya Sorokin, his optimism meter for the Islanders winning the Stanley Cup, and much more next on Hockey Press Pass. Hey, everybody, it's Chris. I want to take a moment to thank and tell you all about Instat Hockey. I'm a subscriber and think of the world of their product. They were the first major company to jump on board as a presenting sponsor of my podcast. I can't thank them enough. Instat Hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media, like the people we spotlight each week on Press Pass. The Instat Hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. I've used their platform and so have many of the coaches I've worked with, so check them out. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. instatsport.com hockey. Hey guys, it's Pat, and I want to tell you about Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. A huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale, from old favorites to the hottest new releases. A library of over 400 board games for open play every day. Our staff help you pick out games and show you how to play. Find your crowd at one of our Magic The Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including our D&D after-school program, offered both virtually and in person. A full-service cafe, food and drink, 
coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your game. I find it actually very charming that Barry Trotz is the leader of the team uh, as the coach, but when he's asked about roster decisions, he uh, is very quick to point out that that's Lou's territory and to ask him. <laughs> and 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 like and probably nobody's ever. I know he's been at this a long time, but I doubt it's not because Kimber or Lou or anybody else tells him that that's the way it is. That's just being smart but i can tell you for years i would tell the coach please talk about coaching and the team leave the injury report uh, the injury report leave the personnel moves to the make it easy for yourself trot just has it down and you know he knows that that lou is is the person to talk about those things so um what is your Okay, we do a thing, uh, Pat and I, you know, the optimism meter, 1 to 10, knowing that this is an eight-month season, if you include uh, going far deep into the playoffs. Uh, but where is your optimism meter very early into the season about a Stanley Cup for this team this yeah. season? Well, I picked them to win it uh, okay, months well. ago, so I'm not, I'm not going to go away from that now. Um, I am a little bit concerned about the defense. Um you know, Zidane Chara has a lot of miles on, on, on that engine, let's be honest. And I think he's going to get more time, as he should, uh, to figure out the system and to see what he what he can do and what he can't do. Um, but I'm curious to see where it goes if it's not going to work out. Um, you know, I, I go back a couple of years with, with uh, Devon Taze when Thomas Hickey got hurt. Uh, Barry wanted Taze on the team out of camp. He had a dynamite camp, but he got you know he was injured a lot for the past couple of years with with with, uh, with Bridgeport. Um, Barry wanted him on the team. Lou said no. He's got to he's got to get some more seasoning in the bridge before he before he comes up. Um, and once Thomas Hickey got hurt, you know Taze came up and ran with it. Um, they really missed Nick Letty in the early going. I think just that that puck mover, right? Um, that's not his game. It hasn't been for a while. Um, so if it doesn't work out with Jared, do they give Robin Salo a crack? He doesn't have the same um, resume that Taze had. I mean, Taze had already been here for a bit in North America and, and playing, so uh, we'll see how it goes. But I was really, really impressed with Robin Salo and Camp. I'm curious to see where this goes down the road here. And my hunch, too, is uh, they'll decide whether, and maybe they'll give that opportunity. Also, injuries can create these opportunities uh, to the people in the system. But again, it's a reminder, and this wasn't always the case, right? But, but it's how you finish, so they can add players, right? Like I understand there's cap issues, but late in the season, close to the deadline, they have the opportunity again to analyze, see what they have and what they can add. And, and, and I think there's a good chance that that would happen. Would you agree? For sure. I mean... I wonder if fans live in a world now where anything is possible at the trade deadline. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. Of, what did you just say? Anything is possible. <laughs> anything is possible. The days of no, no offense to what I'm going to mention here, but the days of Brandon Davidson and Tyler Kennedy, those days are over, Chris. They can go out and get somebody if they think that they're going to help this hockey team. And I'm not just saying this because I'm trying to be a you know a predictor here. History shows that Lou is going to go out and get somebody that he thinks can help them if that person is available. So we'll see. Sorokin has just always felt like the real deal to me. 
Uh, what do you see when you get to see him, you know, whether it be his practice habits or every, anything else, uh, shed some, I mean, I feel like Sorokin, we were talking about him. <laughs> Not, you you know, okay. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, it's hard. To, and now he's here. I knew he'd be here eventually. Um, but what do you see in Sorokin that we, that, 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 that when the game isn't going on? Yeah, you know, I wish we were in the room so I could get to know the guy a little better. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to do that through Zoom, Chris. Sure. Um, from what I understand, he's a really funny guy. I commend the hell out of him just for the how he's worked on his English. You could tell already that it, it's really uh, grown leaps and bounds over the past year. I mean, to, to, to come over here um, from Russia where you don't know anybody and to go from there to a bubble, right, for, what was it, six, seven weeks, um, that's got to be a major adjustment. But the from the guys that I've spoken to, he fit right in. He's a funny guy, apparently, um, and he's a pro. And I, this is one prediction I will make, Chris. He will start the last game of this season for the Islanders, whenever that may be. Okay. Uh, I'm going to come back How's to – I have one more on uh, on the season, and I'm going to come back to the, the, the uh, category of predictions. Um, it – my take on the Islanders, I'm not concerned about the Islanders, but what I'm seeing is that more teams in the East are, feel like to me like they're getting better. Gosh yeah. darn it. Shame on them. You know, <laughs> like, but, and, and, you know, do I believe in Philly yet? Not necessarily. Do I believe in the Rangers yet? I, I, I'd like to see them get better uh, for New York. Uh, I'm not buying yet, although the goalie is just, just fantastic. But do you share that, that, that this isn't, Tampa Islanders, Washington, that the people are joining the pack. Other teams are joining the pack. No, I mean, look at what Carolina's done so far. Um, Even without Joe Quenville, Florida is still a really, really good hockey team. We'll see what happens behind the bench with them. But inside the division, Chris, um, you know, you had to think that Carter Hart was going to be better than he was last year. Mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing that already. Um, The Rangers, I, I still think they need another forward whoever that may be down the road, if, they, if they're in it, um, come the deadline, we'll see what they do. Uh, but you're right about Shesterkin. I mean, if we could get a Shesterkin-Sorokin rivalry here for the next 10 years, I mean, how much fun would that be? Yep. Not just for New York, but for the league in general. So, uh, yeah, the division's better, and the Islanders have their work cut out for them. We're not saying anything that they don't know. Yeah. Well, to repeat, Brian Compton is on record saying Yuli Sorokin will – be the goaltender in the Islanders' last game this season, wherever, whenever that may be. Which brings me to this. So I once said back in the SNY studio days, by the way, I would, I, we did it for like a year and a half, maybe, right? I know I, I, I want to talk about it like if we did it for 15, but whatever. Let's, <laughs> let, let, let's roll with that. But I, I know that at some point in the point-blank days, I made the comment that the Islanders would get a new arena before the Nets did, and I uh, am still reminded of it to this day. Not just by not just by my friends, but by people on on the World Wide Web. Uh, was pushing for the acquisition of Ville Leno. Was, was that was that your biggest mistake back then, or 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 if you were to think back on whether it was with me or somewhere else, uh, is there something where you look back and you say, "Oh man, I wanted to believe, or I really thought that would uh, work out." But uh, and by the way, I only remember about Leno because like you brought it up a few times after after saying it. So, what's your take on that, sir? I think Jordan Leopold might have been my worst one. Okay. Uh, we brought up some names back in the day, but. Uh, Somebody, uh, who was the, oh, I, I was 
big on the Brooks like trade. Big time. Yes, yes. Who was a good player in my defense, but mm-hmm. he just couldn't stay on the ice. Um, yeah, I mean, Chris, that, that, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, how far this franchise has come, mm-hmm. because we brought up some names back in the day, didn't we? Yeah, and it just, and, and thankfully, you know, and who could predict it either? Because, yeah, okay. We're not talking about, in the case of Leno or, or Brooks, like we're talking about a career that just dropped off the table. You know what I mean? We're not talking yeah. about struggles. We're not talking about, oh, boy, he didn't he didn't get better. He just, like, I don't know what happened there. Uh, and, listen, the Islanders had their Stu Andrew Ladd uh, was a mystery. Uh, he, he would have been somebody I was – uh, fine with, I get it. They also needed to fill a hole. Sometimes there's desperation. You know, they had lost guys that summer. Uh, you just don't know. But uh, yeah, Leno stood out. But okay, Brooks like as well. Um, you know, I, my my last question. Uh, you know, you've just been at this a long time. You've come to mean so much uh, for Islander fans. You're in there swinging and um, and and reporting. And I also know that you would go the extra mile when you're at NHL.com to provide journalism and information to the team that I believe was probably above and beyond uh, what was expected of you in the job or is expected of you in the job. But what is your, as we embark on this new era with a new arena, you know, what is your message to Islander fans? What would you want to say to them? Oh man! Uh, sorry if I pissed any of you off on Twitter. I love you guys, uh, even the ones who hate me. I do love you guys. Um, I'm just glad. Um, I think you all should take a moment uh, on November 20th and just look around. And if you cry, I get it, honestly, because it's been a long, buddy, gross road. Chris can tell you better than I can. I mean, the stories that you have, Chris, I'm sure are ridiculous, but um, this owner, this this organization has has never been in better hands. That's no disrespect, including Charles Wong. They would not be here without Charles. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, but you deserve November 20th, and it's going to be a really, really special night, and hopefully it's the beginning of something really special uh, this spring. That's perfect. Brian Compton, NHL.com. Thanks for the friendship. Thanks for the, the wisdom and uh, for, for coming on with me today. I really appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's good to catch up with you. Thanks. Hey guys, it's Pat again, and great episode with Brian Compton. And with that, we are closing in on the final few days before a new era begins on Long Island with the grand home opener of UBS Arena. Chris and I will have another episode of Islanders 4-Check next week to break it all down. We'll weigh in on our optimism meter. I might have to, might have to reconsider a bit where I started, but it's going to be really Really good for the Islanders to finally be home. Check in with us next week on Hockey Press Pass.